Um, I tell you, that song is uh, just right in line with where we're going to be at this morning. Um, if you have your Bible, um, let's go ahead and let's turn to Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to be hanging out together, spending some time in God's Word. Um, and so, uh, Pastor Brian uh, and Miss Bonnie there uh, took some time uh, to just kind of recuperate, to spend some time together, spend some time with family. And so I have the privilege to be here together, and it is an, always an honor uh, to, to come here and to open God's Word uh, with just our faith family. And uh, this year, again, because it's Christmas season, uh, we are working through just a, a time of Advent and um, just looking and just reminding, what, what is this Advent? What is this all about? Uh, maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you're used to seeing the, the decorations, the poinsettias, uh, the lights, uh, and then we start uh, to kind of go across different themes. But the whole point of Advent is this is a season and a time for remembering and rejoicing, uh, watching and waiting, and a time of, to reflect upon the promises of God and to anticipate uh, the promises uh, still to be fulfilled. Uh, Advent inspires us to look forward as we look back on the fulfillment of God's promises through the birth of Jesus, our Savior and our King. And so to help us uh, look at some of the promises that have been fulfilled in Christ and to look at the promises that will one day be fulfilled in Christ, uh, we go through different themes. And so last week's theme, uh, like I mentioned earlier, was hope talking about the hope that we have uh, because of Christ. And the hope that we have is not a uh, wishful, I hope uh, this works out. It's a certainty. Um, and so Pastor Brian started us off last week working through the Gospel of Mark and different people's lives that experienced, that were hopeless, than experienced hope that is in Christ. And then today, I've been given the topic of love. When you talk about the love of God, that is a massive topic. I mean, we could spend so much time together. We could spend hours upon hours. Again, that's why I brought my big jug of water, okay? Uh, no, but we could spend, it's just so exhaustive. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I just got thinking of different songs, this, this being one of them, the one that we just sang here. How great, how great, how great is your love. What a great reminder of just the love of God and how great it is. There's an old hymn that I was introduced to uh, back when I was in college uh, by a pastor of mine. And the chorus goes like this, and the hymn is called The Love of God. It says, oh, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. But listen to the, the language and the descriptive language in the third verse of this hymn. It says, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were the stalk of earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above, would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole through the, through the stretch from sky to sky. And you think about how we have just tried to describe God's love, try to understand God's love. I had a professor in seminary that gave us this illustration and he threw out this number and the number is 352 quintillion. Let me say the number one more time. 352 quintillion. 
We don't normally understand or talk about and use quintillion terms. We understand a million, we understand a billion, we understand a trillion. I say we understand, okay, none of us understand a million. Uh, but a, mi- a million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, after quadrillion is quintillion. And what 352 quintillion, what that stands and what that represents is the amount of gallons of water that are in our oceans. That number is so huge, it is 10 to the 18th power. It is a massive number, just like the idea of God's love being so massive. And then this professor went on to describe what we understand and what we can gain of God's love with 352 quintillion, what we understand is maybe a gallon size of God's love. This is what we understand, this is what we know, and what we know about God's love doesn't even compare to the love of God. But this morning, what we wanna do is we wanna dive deep into God's word, and we wanna let God's word show us what his love is. There is a verse that has been on my heart ever since Brian told me that he was gonna be out and that I was gonna be preaching on love. It's a, begin to pray over different passages, um, and this verse kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. And it's Romans chapter five, verse eight. In fact, we'll put this one for you guys on the screen. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our goal this morning, uh, as we open our hearts to God's word, our goal this morning really is just kind of threefold. First thing is we wanna gain a greater understanding of God's love or we wanna be reminded of God's love. But then also we wanna see the impact that God's love has on us. And then the last thing this morning that we wanna do is that we wanna react. We wanna respond to the love of God. So to do that this morning, we're gonna work through Romans chapter five and we're gonna look at verses eight, nine, 10, and 11. So let's read those verses together. Again, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Then verse 11, and not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So this morning, the first thing I want us to look at is this, is I want us to look at the demonstration of God's love. The demonstration of God's love, and we see this in verse eight. In verse eight, you just wanna kinda slowly work through the text and let God's word again speak to it. Verse eight starts off with the phrase and it says, but God, and what this does is this connects us to what Paul has kind of been talking about over the past several verses. This this connects us to what he's been speaking about, even the verses ahead of that. In verses six and seven, Paul says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. It's been said that the greatest sacrifice that anybody could ever do is to actually lay down their life for somebody else. 
When you look at this idea, it's actually an idea that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 15 and verse 13 where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends. So we see that the act of laying down one's life is a demonstration of love. But verse eight goes on and says, says, but God demonstrates his own love. In the Greek, the word demonstrate simply means to show, to prove, to establish, or to exhibit. You see, God is not hiding himself, and God is not hiding his love from us. Today, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. God knows right where you're at. Again, like I said earlier, he brought you here for a reason. Maybe you're struggling in your relationship with God. Maybe you don't know if, again, you don't feel God's love. He's not hiding it. This verse clearly says that God has demonstrated, he has proven it, he's established it, he's exhibited it. You know, uh, when you think about the idea of demonstrating or a demo, right? Uh, I used to be an infomercial junkie. Uh, on Sunday mornings, I would wake up and I would watch an hour-long infomercial. Normally, they were like exercise infomercials, and no lie, there were two of them that got me, okay? Uh, I picked up the phone and ordered them. But even now, I still like the idea of like demos and, and, and demonstrations. Uh, and so the other day, we were walking through Costco, and maybe if you've been through Costco recently, you've seen this. Uh, there is a certain knife company in the back, right? And they are putting on demo demonstrations. And so this knife company, they're not just telling you about their knives. They're not just telling you how sharp they are and how they won't dull, right? What do they do? They give you a demonstration. They hold the knife, they slice the paper, they grind it on a stone, and then they go cut tomatoes. And so they're trying to show you, and they're not just saying it with their mouth, right? They're showing you a demonstration of their product. And so when we look at Romans chapter five, verse eight, when it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, we have to realize and understand that God has clearly shown us the simple truth that he loves you. Because he has given us the greatest demo, the greatest demonstration, the greatest exhibit of his love, and we're gonna see it in just a second. And so know today, that today you can leave here knowing for certainty that God loves you because he's demonstrated it to you. And it goes on in verse eight, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, what is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us? It's the cross. Yes, we celebrate Christmas. Yes, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. But Jesus' coming and then his life and then his death and his resurrection are the greatest demonstrations that we will ever have of God's love. You see, we live in a world to where we are all looking for love. We're looking for something. We're looking for something to satisfy us. We're looking for something to make us, give us those goosebumps. We're looking for something that, that is constant, that is consistent for us. And we look in a lot of different places. And I'm gonna tell you this morning, if you're looking for love apart from Christ, you will be found empty. You will be found empty because it is God's love that gives us the most satisfying thing that we could ever experience. And so know today that the greatest demonstration that God has given us of his love is found in Jesus. As I was studying, I came across this one commentary and listen to what it says describing this verse. 
It says, God did not wait until we had performed well enough to merit his love before before he acted in love on our behalf. Christ died for us while we were still, I love this, alienated from him and cared nothing for his attention or his affection. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 explain God's love in this way and God's demonstration of love in this way. It says, by this the love of God has, was revealed in us, that God has sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, that means a sacrifice for our sins. Do you hear the truth of God's word this morning? Again, I know that a lot of us maybe have come to church on a regular basis and we're used to the phrase, God loves you. But today we have this so clearly demonstrated that while we were still helpless in our sin, nothing lovable about us, God loved us and sent Jesus. We live in such a merit-based society. We learn this from the time that we're little that if we're going to do good in school, we've got to do the work, right? And then it just keeps on establishing the older we get. The older we get, we go to our jobs and we work in our jobs every week. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up and you're going to go to work and you're going to work, why? So that you can experience some type of payment. And so in our minds, we take that same mentality when it comes to God. And we think that based off of our merits and our abilities, then we can earn and we can receive God's love. No, the greatest thing about God's love is this, is that he loves you right now, right now. And he has clearly demonstrated that for us. Again, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christmas is that God loved a sinful, fallen, rebellious mankind so much that he gave his one and only son. Again, when we really think about the love of God, we cannot fathom it. 352 quintillion, right? That's how much God loves us. Obviously, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, and I would not be a good pastor if I did not quote this verse, especially talking about the love of God, and that's John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. A verse we've heard, but such a powerful truth. So the application from this first point, how God demonstrates his love is, we want you to know God's love. Again, maybe you don't feel it because of your current situations. You know, uh, I was talking to an individual this past week and there's so much joy and so much excitement, celebration around Christmas and around the holidays, Thanksgiving and then into Christmas. But there are some of you right now, when you see the decorations go up, there is no joy. There is no celebration. Maybe because, again, a current situation, some things that you're going through in life. Maybe because of maybe a circumstance that you've experienced around the holidays. Just know today that God loves you. Know today that no matter where you are, maybe you are rebelling from God. Maybe you have turned your back on God and you are running from God. God does not like your sin. He does not love your sin. In fact, he hates it. And we're going to see that. He's a just God, but he loves you. And he's made a way for you to be in a right relationship with him. But as we go on into verse 9 and verse 10, I want us to see the impact of God's love. The impact of God's love. And the impact of God's love is first on our condition. 
And this is in verse nine. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Paul says, having been justified by the blood of God. You see, God's love, it justifies us. So Paul's gonna go into a theological argument here, a theological stance, and he's gonna talk about where we are positionally with God because of his love. The term justify means to be declared right before God. The term justify understands the idea that you once you were guilty, once there is a penalty that was on you, but now because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and you have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, you are now justified. You are now right with God. You are now free. And so we see the impact on our condition and it says this and it goes on it says and I I love this because I will honestly say this week as I was studying this passage, this part is what really God kind of Uh, showed me and taught me something new because verse nine says, it goes on, it says, so we shall, so because we've been justified, because God's done this great act in our life by sending Jesus, it says we shall. What that shows us is there's gonna be a continuation to come. There's gonna be a continuation of the effect of God's love. And what is that continuation? It says we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Again, we're talking about God's love, right? Nobody wants to talk about the wrath of God. It's Christmas. We got a Christmas tree. We got poinsettias, right? We don't want to talk about the wrath of God. I came here on Sunday. I want to leave feeling good about myself. Please don't mention the wrath of God. Well, the word of God mentions it. See, one thing we have to understand about God is that he is a just God, which means he hates sin which means he has to punish sin. Which is why when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus was not just dying a physical death, right? No matter what movie you have watched and maybe video clip to where you have seen or play you have watched where there is a character trying to portray the role of Jesus and there's some great ones out there. No camera lens, no matter how high def, no matter how 3D, 4K, 5K, whatever K there's out there right now, okay, I don't know. Go to Costco, they'll, they'll show you, all right? But no matter what we see, nothing can really show us what Jesus, what was happening there completely because Jesus was taking the wrath of God for our sins. Not just, listen to this, this is something that I have to be reminded about. Not just the sins that you have committed or the sins that you committed before you believed in Jesus, but when Jesus died on the cross, because God is all-knowing, he knows everything about you. That means he knows the days of your life and he knew all the sins that you were going to commit and those were poured out on Jesus. And so what we have, it says we will be saved from the wrath of God. And so what we see here is that because of Jesus, we now have freedom. We now have rescue. The application is we're saved from the wrath of God in this life, knowing that yes, we are going to continue to sin and we are going to mess up. That's not, it's not to explain it away, right? Not to justify that. But knowing that when we do mess up, because of what Jesus has done for us and because of God's love, 
there is now no condemnation because of what Christ has done for you. Meaning that when you truly repent of your sins and turn to Christ for salvation, but then even after that, when you fall and mess up and you truly repent of your sins, God still offers forgiveness for you. There is a verse that was given to me um, at a period of my time when I was just struggling in my walk with Christ. You see, there was t- seasons and uh, I would fall and give into t- temptations and I would struggle. And I had all this combination, I would repent of this sin, would turn from the sin, but still had this weight. And in my mind, I thought the only way that God can forgive me of some of the sins that I have committed is if I begin to do enough good works, I can get back into God's grace and then he can forgive me of these sins. And I had a pastor that shared with me Romans chapter eight, verse one, where it says, there is therefore now no combination at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, because of Jesus, in this life, we again do not stand condemned because of what Christ has done for us. This is the impact on our condition. But not just for this life, but also this is the impact on our condition for eternity. Knowing that again, for those who do not believe in Jesus, according to the truth of God's word, they will spend an eternity separated from him. God will pour out his wrath on them. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a harsh truth, a harsh reality, but yet it is still truth that if nobody responds, if people do not respond to God's invitation and receive his love and receive his salvation, then unfortunately they will spend an eternity separated from him. But because of God's love, he has made a way for us to spend an eternity with him. But not only do we see the impact of God's love on our condition, but we also need to see the impact of God's love on our position. This is the practical side of it. Uh, Verse 10 in Romans chapter five, look at what God's word says. It says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Again, apart from Christ, apart from God's love in our life, listen to what God's word says, we are enemies to God. An enemy is somebody who is opposing, who's hostile to God. Now, none of us would say I'm an enemy of God, right? Nobody wants to take on uh, that battle. Uh, But so what we do is like, there's no way I'm an enemy of God. I'm a good person. And we compare ourselves to other people. And a lot of times, and especially what I've learned, especially working with students and what I love about students, they're just, you know, a younger product of adults, right? And so same ideas that us adults have. We think that, hey, I'm not an enemy of God. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't know. We always go to murder, right? You think, okay, yeah, yeah. But listen, whatever sin you struggle with, maybe it's the words that come out of your mouth, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's lust, right? Maybe it's a struggle that's in your mind, it's not fleshed out in your life, but it's a struggle you have in your mind. All those sins that we struggle with, they separate us from God, therefore we are an enemy of God apart from Christ. But what does Christ do? He reconciles us. He reconciles us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 show us a list of sins, right? But I want you to pay attention to what the, the final verse says. But verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived that neither, neither the sexually immoral, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those who are habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers nor, will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to what verse 11 says. Such were some of you, but 
you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. You see, in 1 Corinthians, we have this list of sins and all these different sins, what do they do? They separate us from God. But what does God do? He makes a way for our lives to be changed. He makes a way and it says this uh, for us to go from being an enemy of God to being reconciled, to be right with him. It goes on and says much more. Again, this continuation, having been reconciled to God, we shall be saved by his life. You see, Jesus changes us from being an enemy of God, I love this, to being a friend of God. Because of the love of God, we go from being an enemy to now being a friend when we believe in who Jesus is. Jesus even speaks of this in John chapter 15 and verses 14 through 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. Think about who are, you, who, who are your friends right now? Who are those that you're closest to? I know that this idea of being a friend is kind of, um, it's kind of twisted a little bit in our culture because some of it because of social media. We'll have people that will follow us uh, on our different accounts and we think, okay, I'm friends with them or we'll send them a friend request and th that's our, some people's idea of friend. But no, like a true friend is somebody that you can be real with. Somebody who you can be yourself with. And look at what we see here is that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled with God. We can be a friend of God. John MacArthur says this, he says, if a dying savior reconciled us to God, surely a living savior can be with us and keep us reconciled to God. You see verse nine talks about our uh, condition and looks at a theological lens but verse 10 talks about our position and looks at it through a practical lens. And so because of Jesus as our living savior, we have assurance that nothing will change our condition or position with God. One pastor says this in regards to this passage in his commentary, he says, if God has already done the difficult thing, justifying us through the blood of Jesus and reconciling us to himself while we were enemies, can we not trust in him to do the comparatively easy task, saving us from the upcoming wrath since we now are his people? And the answer to his question is, of course he can. There is a great truth that's in Romans chapter eight. And at the very end of Romans eight, listen to the truth of God's word. It says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. So for those who have believed in Jesus, nothing can separate you from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that has been re revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans chapter eight, verses 38 and 39. So the application is this. Let me ask you, how has God's love impacted you? Just think about that for a second. As we look at verses nine and 10 and the impact of God's love, how has God's love impacted you? Again, reminder, theologically, you are justified, you are right with God. 
Practically, you are reconciled. You are a friend of God. And I think uh, something that I need to be reminded of and something that God has been reminding me of here lately is this, is where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be without trusting in God's love? And I can tell you for a fact right now, without receiving God's love in my life, I guarantee you it wouldn't be right here. I guarantee you my life would not look anything what it does. But again, the love of God, it changes us. It impacts us. The last thing I want us to see here in closing is what verse 11 says, is I want us to see the reaction to God's love. The reaction to God's love. Verse 11 says, and not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Verse 11 says, we celebrate or we exalt, uh, is what one translation says, in God. The idea to celebrate means to boast, to glory. Think about what are things that we celebrate in. You know, this year, I don't know why, but in college football, something that I've seen a lot lately is that after a big win happens, right, uh, we see the fans, the students primarily, they're rushing the field, right? They're celebrating the victory that was just had. This happened uh, last week, FSU versus Florida, not to bring it up, sorry, okay? But this even happened last night. I root for UCF, UCF lost. Tulane rushed the field. Why do they do that? Because they're celebrating. Why are they celebrating? They're celebrating the victory that they had. You see, our reaction to God's love is that we should celebrate. When people come into this church, and for those of us that have received God's love, they should know that there is a difference. Now, I'm not saying we gotta rush the doors and we gotta rush the stage. And if you wanna do that, that's cool, okay? Uh, Just don't rush up onto the stage, all right? That's an awkward moment. But anyhow, but we should celebrate. There should be a celebration. But unfortunately, what happens in our lives, especially as Christians, we get used to God's love. We get used to the idea, God loves you. And so again, today our goal is this, is to see the demonstration of God's love, to see the impact, but then we should react to God's love. If we have experienced God's love, it should cause a reaction in us. You see, God's love, it doesn't just cause a reaction on Sundays. God's love causes a reaction every single day. We go from having to, right? From I've got to do this because I'm a Christian to no, I get to live life this way because I've experienced God's love. This is even the reaction that we see. Even in the birth of Christ, we see this reaction of the shepherds that came and saw Jesus there lying in the manger. In Luke chapter two, verse 20, it says, and the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just, had been to, just as it had been told to them. They experienced Christ. And what do they do? They go home glorifying, exalting Christ. And so the application from this is, when is the last time that God's love caused a reaction in you? When is the last time that you were moved in worship? When is the last time that just thinking about where you are now and where you would be apart from God's love. When is the last time that you spoke of God's love to somebody? Again, it should cause a reaction. 
In just a moment, uh, worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to close in worship. And I love the fact that we get to do this now for a couple of reasons. But one is we get to respond to God's word in worship. It's not just a closing time for us to kind of transition. No, 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 no. The purpose of this is that we get to respond in worship. And so the team is their team's going to come back up and they're going to sing a song. The song is called What a Beautiful Name It Is, talking about the name of Jesus. I encourage you to respond to God's love. But again, today we've been reminded that our passage, it shows us a demonstration of God's love. It shows us the impact of God's love on us, but it shows us the reaction that we should have because of God's love. You guys remember that number I shared with you in the very beginning? 352 quintillion. That's how many gallons are in the ocean. That's what God's love is like. What we know of God's love is like in this jug. Our goal today in spending some time in God's word is this. We wanna take God's word. And your first step today is we want you to respond to the love of God. We want you to receive it. We want you to believe it, just like as if somebody were to give you a cup of of water, especially when you're thirsty. You ever been in that moment when you're just thirsty and somebody brings water to you? Guys, that's what it's like to our souls when we go and we do life without Jesus, but then when we receive his love. So step one is to, again, receive God's love. Step two is this is to enjoy God's love, to drink it up, to enjoy it. This Christmas season, enjoy the birth of Christ. Enjoy the love that God has poured out on you and that God continues to pour out on you because of Christ. Enjoy the fact that we have a promise for eternity to be spent in heaven with God because of his love. Enjoy that. But then the last thing is this, don't just keep it to yourself. Pass it on to somebody else. Let them receive God's love. Let them experience God's love. So today, I encourage you, I don't know where you are, but God does. I want you to know that God loves you. He's demonstrated. I want you to know that it impacts you and it should cause a reaction. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life that you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you've never received God's love, Let today be that day. You're like, how do I do that? Receive God's love. What is that like? You open your heart to him. You acknowledge that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God and that nothing can make you right with God except what Jesus did for you. So you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus. That's how you receive God's love. And if you've made that decision, let today, man, I hope you walk out of here encouraged. You would enjoy God's love and that you would share God's love. The worship team is gonna come up here, like I said, and they're gonna lead us in a song after I pray. And after this song is over, listen, love to have a chance to have a conversation with you. Um, If you don't feel comfortable coming up afterwards and talking to one of the pastors or somebody else that's up here, know that there are people that are probably right around you that would love to have a conversation with you about believing and trusting in Jesus and receiving God's love. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your love for us. God, thank you uh, for how we see in your word uh, just such a very clear demonstration of your love. 
God, this year, I just pray, this Christmas season, I pray that um, you would open our eyes, open our hearts to your love, that we would see, Jesus, how your love has been poured out, the fact you came down and you laid down your life for us. Jesus, I just pray that we don't just see a demonstration. I pray that, God, we would see how your love, it impacts our lives. Jesus, because of you, we are justified. Jesus, because of you, we're reconciled with God. And I just pray that that truth, God, would sink deep into our hearts and it would change the way we live. And God, I pray that we would react to your love. God, I pray that we would, even in this moment that we're about to have, we would worship you, Jesus, for what a beautiful name it is that you, who you are. But Jesus, I also pray that for those that are here that have never made a decision to trust in you, God, I pray, God, they would leave here today believing in you, knowing that they're loved. So God, we just give you this time. Thank you for your word. God, I just pray that we would just respond to it now. And it's your name we pray. Amen.